says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down what shapes up to be a massive final week of the NRL preseason, my good mate, 60s. 60s, plenty to talk about this week. It's post-Valentine's Day, so we're going to be very sweet this podcast, I'm sure. But how are you holding up, mate? Oh, I'm not that sweet. (laughs) (laughs) But... But oh, look, I'm still almost in recovery mode after last weekend, not because of the result of the Eels, but man, that heat, that heat yeah. was Yeah, out of Kellyville, it was scorching. So full credit to all three squads for getting the win on Saturday in each grade because, geez, those conditions, they're as rough as you're going to get in terms of heat when it comes to rugby league. Oh, look, it was probably a good excuse to find different beverages to hydrate from <laughs> when, you, when you got home. But, yeah, look, it was tough conditions. I feel for the players that were out there in the middle of the day that we were watching, for those that were playing up at Penrith Park later on because it didn't get that much cooler at all. I think the only respite was later in the match there wasn't the direct sunlight as much, but, geez. They still had plenty of it at the start of the match. But, mate, we've got a lot to get through. We're going to hit the junior preview to start off with. We're going to talk a little bit about news floating around the NRL and at Parramatta, and we'll finish it off with the NRL trial preview. So quite a bit to get through, mate. Yes, sir, 60s. But before we preview the junior reps, let's get into our chat with Nathan Brown to see how all three grades are travelling. So we're talking again with Nathan Brown, catching up with all things junior reps. Nathan, thanks for joining us again. No worries, fellas. So just before we start with some of the questions about the Eels junior reps, with the uh, St Helens team here at the moment, I just thought I'd ask you about the English development system. How how does it work over there? How does it compare to the Australian system? All clubs, I suppose, are different. Like in Australia, different clubs, I suppose, have uh, different ways they feel they should I suppose, mentor or develop players. Um, St Helens was a great learning curve for me for player development. Um, it sort of made me understand um, the importance of a club owning its own development system, not having it sort of, I suppose, uh, run by the philosophies of the head coach because uh, unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at it, I suppose, in this industry, uh, head coaches change a lot. And when yeah. I first got to St Helens, one of the things they explained to me was is they want me to obviously have an interest in the in their uh, junior pathways from a point of view of who plays well and who we should be looking to promote, and you know offer some you know bits of coaching tips to the people who who run it. And Derek Trainers, the guy who's run it at St Helens for a long, long time now, does a wonderful job. Um, but they didn't want the head coach, I suppose, having all his philosophies and structures. On the juniors because what they worked out was is that head coaches change all the time and every two, three, four years then the philosophies change and it's quite confusing not only for players but for the people running it as well. So St Helens probably taught me a lot in junior development from the point of view that sure a head coach should have I suppose some sort of input into the way things are I suppose coached and probably help educate coaches but as far as what their philosophy is, it should be owned and run by the club because head coaches come and go and a junior pathways is always there. And 
Uh, St. Ellen's probably do it probably better than most. And you watched them play the other day, and you know their hooker, half, five, eight, and fullback uh, are all outstanding players, all different ages, and all come played at St. Ellen's when they were sixteen. Yeah, it's a pretty fair track record, you know, mm-hmm. and they've done that for a long time now. Well, w- wonderful football club. Is is there competition? I mean, I. I guess it's an obvious that there's competition from the major code over there, which is um, soccer and um, and obviously rugby union as well has has it. But as being from the town that they're from and from the northern part of England, is it do the the players aspire to be rugby league players? Well, St Helens itself as a town is actually in the middle of Liverpool and Manchester, and St Helens actually, ironically, it's a rugby league town, but. Manchester and Liverpool, yeah, yeah. Uh, pure soccer. <laughs> soccer yeah, yeah. So it's actually quite it's quite interesting, and I don't know why or how that works. But you know, as I said, you know, St Helens is a rugby league town. It's not a big place, but it's pure. You know, rugby league's the number one sport there. But you go to the big surrounding cities on either side, and they are very much pure soccer. Yeah. Now talking back to the junior reps, and we're talking about pathways. Uh, the NRL, the New South Wales Rugby League's junior reps competition. I think it's fair to say be the envy of pretty much most other sporting codes in Australia. And both Sixties and I have seen the organisation and the standards publicly praised by members from other sports and other codes. The only downside is at the time of year that they're played. Uh, this week they'll be somewhat milder at Wollongong, but last Saturday it was extremely taxing uh, in the heat with the drinks breaks being put in there to help uh, sort of levy that problem. But 40 plus degrees heat. <laughs> Trainers are also help keep the place hydrated, but... How have the squads put up after a weekend like that? How do you get through something like that? Yeah, look, it's uh, you know the heat's obviously um, uh, quite tough. The other day, the conditions were certainly tough. But you know, when you're playing, say the Maths Cup play half an hour after 15 minutes having a break, then another 15 minutes for a good half time. So I think you know with HR and things like that these days, I think all those things are monitored quite well. And if it does get to a certain temperature, then Players aren't allowed to play as well, so sure, there's the odd day where it's you know the heat's obviously at extreme. But if it ever gets to a spot where this where it's not safe, I understand there's rules in place where the game's not played and yep. it'll be postponed. So I think it's you know it's, it's it is challenging for the players, but again, it's there's drinks breaks, there's medical people involved, and I, I don't think the players, you know, it's you know I've only been back in this area for the first time in twenty years. I don't think. You know, these days players are allowed to be put in situations where it is too dangerous. What was the craziest game you played in, whether it was extreme weather, hot or water? Um, We've had Sharknado from out From an NRL point of view, we played sh- Sharks at Cogra one time in an NRL game, or ARL back then it was, where it was very, very hot. It was about mid-30s and there was no 20-minute drinks yeah, no back drink, then. No drink yeah, breaks yeah. <laughs> if you took water, you were a weak bastard back then, they said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Over the days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now let's start with our winners from the last two weeks, which is the SG Ball team uh, against the Roosters. The left side, every time they went left, it was lethal, but they kept allowing the Roosters to stay in the contest. Uh, against the Tigers, it still wasn't their best, but once they kicked clear, they pretty much took control of the of the game. How have you rated their performances over the la- first two weeks of the comp? Yeah, look, in both games they've probably turned over a fair bit of possession and, you know, against the Roosters, the Roosters turned a fair bit of possession over as well. Um, the other day, you know, the Tigers in the first half sort of controlled the ball a fair bit better than uh, 
than our boys, so they had to sort of they had to work work hard to hang in there. Um, I thought they you know, the scramble defence and goal line defence, they did a really, really good job. Um, I had the feeling just watching the game that they were never ever going to lose the game the other day. Um, yeah, so they've had a few players, you know, that have come back late. Um, you know, Ethan Sanders has come back, who's he's sort of operating down that left side, which appears to be reasonally strong. And mm-hmm. uh, Appa's a, the young fullback who's coming down from Queensland, and he he certainly, you know, in the first sort of two comp games, he's I think he's about five five try assists or six try assists. So you know, that little combination. Down there seems to be proving uh, hard to handle for opposition teams, but you know, as a whole, from you know, I thought they played a bit better footy in in week one. But you know, the biggest thing for them, I suppose, and biggest improvement area is obviously some ball control and getting the more kicks. Just then, they'll have a bit more energy to do a little bit better in attack. I'd say. I think they did fairly well recovering from losing Richard. Panasini early in the game. Uh, Patrick Spence, who's put on about eight kilos to play dummy half, he had to slot in out there in the centres and took that intercept uh, uh, try. Uh, he, uh, I wasn't sure that he was going to go the hey. the distance, but around halfway Big he decided, oh, you know, I think I can get there. So um, you know, I, I thought they did quite well considering that little bit of a reshuffle that was there. Yeah, well, Spence did a great job. You know, I'd, I'm obviously only. Had a little bit to do with Spence this year, but uh, previously he was a fullback, I believe. And yeah. um, you know, they whether I'm not sure who made the decision. I know he was involved in the decision. I'm not sure else, but you know, playing hooker was I thought was might have been a better pathway. So he worked really hard on his dummy half work during the year. And you know, he's sort of a player. He's like a, a bit like I suppose a, a Connor Watson type thing. He's a bit bigger than Connor and not quite as fast. But you know, he's played fullback. He's already played some hooker. Last week he played some centre, and, and in today's game, you know, one of those blokes on the bench doesn't matter what grade it is with concussions and the rules around the game, you know, they're essential. And the other day he went on, and you know, there was no tries down his edge. He scored a, a wonderful length of field try, as you just said. So, you know, from a utility value point of view, you got to give him a big tick. You both mentioned ball control. We're talking about the SG ball, which brings me to the Harold Matthews in round one against the Roosters. They uh, learn a very tough lesson about completions. Uh, and they almost got uh, shot in the foot. Some, oh, sorry, they almost got shot in the foot once again against the West or Balmain Tigers. Sorry, it's not the West Tigers in the mats. It's Balmain, uh, but they did get a last-minute win. What can they take out of that performance, mate? How do they move forwards with the uh, first two points of the competition? Uh, well, I think um, on the pure on the win itself, you know, they the fact they got in a position at the back part of the game uh, under you know in very tough conditions, and they got an opportunity to win. And the try they scored was. It wasn't a barge over, it was actually a really was well executed well try. Yeah, yeah, they, they seven, six, touched the ball yep. and the winger on the far side of the field scored. The centre had to, you know, young Jack had to you know, catch and put a nice pass on for his mm-hmm. winger. So very pleasing from a point of view of their skill under pressure held up when it had to. Um, probably the thing, one of the things, from, I think they got they got beat 8-1 in the penalty count. Yes. Yeah, so probably one of the real big lessons from is obviously their, their ball control something that, from week one to week two, probably didn't improve a lot. But, you know, worrying about referees and getting engaging in what's a good call and not a bad call, you know, as opposed to just focus on the game and don't worry about the referee. Because, as you know, as you get older, referees, it's a tough business and they're <laughs> like players. We all make mistakes. We, we still grumble about it, but you appreciate well, how tough it yeah, is yeah, for it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a It's not a job I'd like to do. No, no. And for the players, you know, the big thing, you know, for me, for them is, is don't worry about the referee you get your game right, yeah. and over the course of the journey, you'll you'll get your 50-50 Your, your calls will come out in the wash, exactly. Come your way. But if you're 
want to worry about the referee too much, you're not going to get your own game right. And there's certainly too young to be worrying about referees. Yeah. Well, I think that that was certainly true in the Tasha Gale match because we did get a game, uh, a try off what was a, a most definitely both, uh, yeah, a forward pass. I think both uh, us in the Gale and, and then in the mats for Balmain in the same corner. I don't know if it was just like there's a run to the field yeah. there, but it felt like both in both cases there was a forward pass that you know swings one way around about the other. Yeah, way, generally so it comes does. out. Yeah, and just on the Tasha Gale team, uh, when we were talking before round one, the discussion was around how good the Roosters generally are every year, and and they proved that in the first round against against our girls and got quite a comfortable victory in the end. And then last week, after being down at half time, the girls really pulled it together in the second half and and dominated the second half in a very very physical game that saw Manly lose quite a few players um, during the contest. Uh, what did you see in that second half that the girls can build on for this week? Probably the most pleasing thing to date with the Tasha Gale is, is that they look like, you know, I've been at their training a fair bit, I've watched the coaches work and they look like they do. They've got, you know, they've got plenty going from the coaches but the, and not only from, uh, I suppose, the coaching and breaking training down and video down but... It seemed like they got a lot of togetherness and happiness, and mm-hmm. I think we saw against the Roosters, who, as everyone says, are a very good side, and the way they hung in that game in the first half to go in only just down a small amount you know, shows the fight they got. And then again on the weekend, you know, they're probably not playing at their where they'd like to play at the moment, but to be able to hang in there at half time, then come out and get the job done, I think that's probably a a sign of the the togetherness the squad's got, and I think that was quite evident against the, the Roosters the week before. Getting those wins when you're not at your best is huge at any level of play and a roll down. But when you're in a nine-week regular season, you've got to bank those yeah. wins when you can get them. you just got to get them, yeah. And that's, you know, a bit, that was a bit like the ball last week. Their, their game last week, they probably didn't oh, – well, they certainly didn't play as well as they did against the Roosters, but they found another way to win. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a short race, you, you need to find a way to win them. There was a unifying theme across all the teams on the weekend, uh, both uh, across all three teams. The middles did a good job in last week's tough conditions, but also the dummy halves – uh, were very effective around the ruck. Uh, that means uh, Pottinger, Moonga, Tutia and Arfa. They were all among their team's best. And I think all three scored, actually, in the, the withering conditions. So uh, big difference makers there. Uh, all very different in how they play, but it must gladden you as a former number nine to see the talent in that position across all three junior rep squads in the Eels. Yeah, look, it's an important spot. And I think, you know, whether it doesn't matter what level of football you play at, if your dummy half's a, a player that takes some decent options and and play some reasonable football, it's a big start for your team. Um, the first person to touch the ball is your dummy half, so if your dummy half's your worst player, that's certainly going to have a big impact on the team. And if your dummy half's one of your better players, it's certainly going to have a big big impact on your team. So, you know, for all three teams, you know, all the you know the, the dummy halves have got two in the in the uh, Mats Cup, you know, young Lockie Kanakis and, yep. and Z, they sort of roll a bit, and Lockie plays a bit of uh, 13 as well, so... Both those boys are, are doing some good stuff and can you know got a lot of growth in their game, um, and obviously young Maddie's um, another player again with a lot of growth, and so is the the, the young lady. You know, the the ladies' game's only been going for a small amount of time, so a lot of the girls that are playing rugby league haven't played a lot. But you know, to my knowledge, they all really want to learn a lot. They're all sponges yeah. and want to learn a lot. So you know, I think the dummy half play and halfback play amongst the girls will be something. You know, in another five years' time, we'll see a big change there because. A lot more kids are going to play from a lot more, a lot, lot younger age, you know. So they're sort of 
just learning their trade a little bit at 18 where these other young blokes are learning at 14 yeah, so 15 yeah, once, so once the young ladies are yeah. in the same slot they're going to be accelerating and accelerated yeah, yeah so it's quite uh, quite interesting watching how far the ladies games come in such a short time and so credit to the you know all the people that are developing the game and, and, and the ladies that are playing it yeah. now it's a road trip to Wollongong this week it's actually a fair few road trips in uh, in this season all the away games have a bit of travel involved is travel a factor that it impacts the performances of young teams? Oh, look, from, from what I've been told, it certainly is uh, it's, uh, certainly a different thing for the young kids. You know, they're used to, obviously, travelling to Canterbury or Manly or Roosters. You know, they're not used to doing longer travel because it's not something they, I suppose, uh, had to do much of, where if you look on the other scale, the, you know, the Canberra travel every second yeah. week. Yeah. And if you look at their younger teams, they've played two away games already and had some really good results. So I think you know, those teams that consistently travel are obviously got their head around it more. Where the younger kids that don't travel, it's obviously a, it's a bit of a learnt skill. So certainly travelling is something that young kids need to adapt to and, and get better at, especially if they, they want to advance their game. Yeah, I think it's probably a, a bit of an insight for the young players for metropolitan teams about what those regional teams do go through as they're coming through the ranks. Yeah, it's certainly different, but the fact they do it all the time makes it probably not much for them. Where the yeah. when the region when the, the city teams actually have to do it, it's a very different thing for them because they don't do it very much. So it's again, it's you know everything's about experience, and you know the teams that do it all the time have got more experience at it. So it's something for the the city based teams to learn and get better at. We're used to the Illawarra teams being pretty fair chop in the junior reps in any given year. What can you tell us about their free teams this week? I'll be honest with you, I don't focus on the other teams. I'm more put my time into the, the players here, so I can't give you any indication there. But you know, going off history and you know, the growth in the area down out the back of Wollongong, I can't imagine that they haven't got plenty of good players in both grades. I'd be surprised if they didn't. I've traditionally found it to be a very physical yeah, very clash yeah. with it. You know, they've been fair, like fairly big players that... Um, Especially in the SG ball, like you know, last year was uh, was quite physical. Uh, coming into the third round of a nine round competition, are our teams tracking as you'd expect? Oh, uh, look, it's difficult for me to answer some of these questions. I haven't been here for over twenty years, so <laughs> I can't actually tell you how they should be tracking. But you know, what I do know is young kids, uh, you know, to get them to be consistent in any aspect of life, whether it's building, going to school, whatever it is. That's a that's a learnt skill for them. So, you know, trying to find some sort of consistency or, or I suppose, uh, longevity of consistency. At the moment, we've been a bit flighty, but you know, the teams they've played at times have been a bit flighty too. So, I think you know, I'd, I'd like to think that both teams can certainly in, improve their ball control. Definitely, um, uh, in saying that too, you know, from a development point of view, we certainly wanted to play some footy as well because they can't develop as players if they just worry about getting through completions and kicking the ball. So, you know, that balance there is going to be a good challenge for them, and and that's in both grades. And with the with the Mats Cup, the other challenge for them is is their discipline, yeah, and, and not not sort of focus on the referee. So, um, Tasha Gale there one on one, the the Mats Cup are one on one. So both those teams, you know, the reality is is that you know there's not. Too many more they could lose to finish yeah. where they want to finish, and and obviously the the ball are two and two, you know. So the, this sort of next three or four weeks, I'd like to think that both sides will get a little bit of growth, and uh, with that growth, hopefully, they can get some consistency. Well, thanks for joining us for another chat in the junior reps this week, Nathan. Let's hope we can bring home another treble of wins, get the uh, the old hat trick of uh, W's in the bag, and we'll chat to you later. 
Thanks, fellas. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. And of course, thanks to Nathan Brown for the time to give us another great chat about the junior representatives and how it's all travelling there. Let's move on to the previous 60s, but I think first you want to talk about some footy in the local district. Yeah, well, we're about to preview the Tash de Gale match against the Steelers. And yesterday when we were up at Kellyville and I was sticking around ready to watch a little bit of the NRL training, uh, the assistant coach for the Tasha Gale team, uh, Shah Henry, who also is uh, her and her husband run the Para House, uh, she came over and said g'day. And um, what she was actually doing there was she was running a pre-season session for the Kellyville under-16s girls team. And they were there running through their paces, uh, doing some footy, a lot of fitness. And there was about 30 girls there for their under-16s team going through their paces. So whether they end up fielding two teams or uh, or whether you know some don't continue on, I'm not sure. But that's an example. You've got the one of the Parramatta Tasha Gale coaches who's jumped in to help out at the real local level, that grassroots level, to help continue to grow the girls' pathways in Parramatta because they obviously are, would be one of the teams feeding in, the Bush Rangers, one of the teams feeding into Parramatta's uh, female representative pathways. And I just wanted to give a shout-out to Shah for the amazing work that she does, and she's so enthusiastic about the progress of the of, of female pathways. And when you have people like her involved, and, and you're going to have success in the future because there's just such a passion that she has for rugby league. And and I might mention that's not just the female pathways that she uh, is so heavily involved with because it's the uh, her and her husband have the young fellas that are staying with them in the mm-hmm. uh, Aramatta house and looking after them from you know young blokes from Queensland for example that are that are down joining Parramatta's junior reps and they need a home away from home and yep. that's basically what Shara and her husband are able to provide so uh, shout out as I said to Shah, great work that she's doing. And even in the midst of this junior representative season, there she is finding the time to help out one of the local clubs with their pre-season training. Yeah, of course, we spoke to James Power last year of the Kelly Hill Bush Rangers, and he was quite excited about the growth in the female space that they're uh, seeing. And talking about 30 girls turning up for training, that is a real reflection of that. So huge, huge stuff for the... Uh, both the female code and the Western Sydney growth of it. And it's great to see Shah getting, I mean, I say involved, so heavily involved because she has, she's everywhere. She is uh, just, uh, was it indefatigable? Like she's just unreal, incredible uh, that she's involved with so many different things and so many different levels in the juniors. Yeah, um, and of course then has the involvement helping out with the NRLW team as yeah, well. exactly, exactly. It's, so. it's uh, a, certainly a full year uh, for a... Uh, quite a, uh, I guess, a, one of those people that you almost regard as irreplaceable yeah. within an organisation simply because finding people who can give up that amount of time and have that pa- that passion. Yeah, that much care and passion, absolutely. That's it. 
that's it. All right, well, let's talk about her team in the Tasha Gale 60s. Got their first win of the season last week against the Manly Seagulls. They now look to back it up against the Illawarra Steelers, who we mentioned with uh, Brownie, uh, traditionally very strong Lord Junior Epps, but also in the uh, Tasha Gale too, where they've had some some of the best NRLW talent coming through in the first few years, quite honestly. I was looking at their, if I can just catch their performance last week. Uh, no, okay, that's, all right, so that's why I can't see that. I'll talk about it in a sec. But um, we're starting at fullback. We've got uh, Debbie Dwahi, who's one of the two co-captains. Uh, on the two wings, you've got the two Bells, Alicia and Haley. In the centres, Caitlin Pearden and Lindsay Tui. In the halves, it's unchanged, which is uh, very significant given that we saw Talara Bambwick coming off with what looked to be a shoulder injury 60s. But she's there to partner Charlotte Cawthorn, at least named to start. Have to wait and see on Saturday if it's going to change. In the front row, you've got uh, Layla Dimmick, who was outstanding against the Seagulls. She'll partner Kanye Marumulu in the front row. Other co-captain is Ashley Pottinger. She's at dummy half. In the back row, Khaleesi Mahe, Kayana Lakeni, and Makaya Darcy. And then in the interchange, Casey Q is the, the dummy half utility. You've got Mela Akawala Lalu, Nella Lima, Layla Black. Then the extended bench, Bella Sanford, Chelsea Steele, and uh, Cielo Lovao Vave. And yes, they're taking on the Illawarra Steelers who have been very good in this grade, like I said earlier, 60. Just going to see how they're traveling this year, if I can quickly pop their results. So in round one, they... That was the Dragons. They absolutely dust up the Panthers 28-0. In round two, they had a bye. So they're undefeated on the season in just the one game. Uh, but that bye, maybe it plays the Parramatta's advantage here. Got a bit of momentum out of their game, whereas the Steelers are coming off the week off. Uh, yeah, have to wait and see this one plays out, but you've got to hope that the girls can harness what we saw in the second half. I think there's an element with the girls because there's obviously a bit of a team rebuild that's happened this year. They have about six girls backing up from last year, but as I said, there's also a significant rebuild that's going on. I, you know, if I'm, I'm watching that game last week, and throwing it into the totality of the week before and the seasons in you know added up in those first two games, I think what they need is a bit more self-belief. Because as you probably noted as as well, Forty, that in that first half, there wasn't it was almost like there were there wasn't any uh confidence in the way they were hitting the ball up. It was there there was uncertainty in uh, their passing game, in the way that they took on the defence. It just didn't have this, any real punch to it. And then whatever the coaching staff, Ryan Walker and his staff, said to them at halftime, that made a massive difference because literally from the kickoff, they were charging onto the ball and it became a real physical contest that took its toll on the Manly team. They lost so many players through that match. It was, and we're talking about quite legitimate, not like there wasn't anything in the way of foul play, but there was a broken arm. There was a knee injury. There were players that were just, you know, knocked around and needed to be replaced. And I'm not saying this from any way that it, it was a tough game, but in a game that girls, should, the the families should think about, oh, is this really a, a game for my daughter? It was just one of those really tough physical contests that became a war of attrition. Yep. And that physical battle 
ended up being won and won convincingly by the Parramatta team when they were down by eight points to nil at half time, came back winning 16 points to eight. And that 16 points to nil in the second half was probably a very accurate reflection of how the play went in that uh, second 30 minutes. Yes. Yeah, they, they were very strong in that second half, dominated the middle, able to shift the ball with nice fluidity, and that's why the scoreline read 16 unanswered points and the win to the Parramatta Eels. So hopefully they can acquit themselves well against the Steelers, who, like I said, coming off that bye. Always hard to get a read on how teams in the junior reps are going to come off that week off. Uh, sometimes they you know reset nicely. Sometimes they struggle for energy uh, from the opening moments, and hopefully it's the latter for the Eels, and they can really steal a march on the Steelers, if you pardon the pun there. Let's move on to the Harold Matts. I've uh, got a change or two here as well. Starting at fullback, it's Corey Lay with the number one on his back. Moving on to the wings, Dom Faruja and Larima Rokasuka. In the centres, Lucius Muliaga and Josh Patrick. In the halves, we've got our first change with our junior Fungalele coming in at 5'8". He's replacing Lincoln Fletcher, who was very solid last week, it must be said. He'll partner Lorenzo Talatina at halfback. In the front row, we get Big Ocean Vavela back, who uh, has made a recovery from a very nasty fingering injury, actually. He'll partner Jordan Uta in the starting front row. Dummy half is the tall Zaydis Mwanga who was very good last week, 60s. We spoke about that with Brownie. But yeah, Zaydis had a fantastic game. Back row, on the edges, you've got Mark Williams and Anthony Abdo. At lock forward, Tyson Sangalang. On the bench, Lachlan Kornakis, Mikhail Tito, Mason Ong, and Lewis Saad. 18th player is Lincoln Fletcher, who I just spoke about shortly. So I've got a change in the halves, got a change in the front row. And I believe, yeah, oh, Josiah Finaluta, the captain, looks like he's uh, picked up either an injury or a suspension there. So that's a significant out for the team there, 60s. Going to have to pick up his body of work there. Uh, and also a couple of changes on the bench, it looks like, too. But yeah, so the core of a team, mostly unchanged. But there are a few uh, new faces or changes taking on the Steelers this week. Anthony Abdo comes in in the second row. And I mentioned him in my training, in my trial match report, because I thought that when both he and Ocean Vivella came on in that trial, that they changed the momentum of that second half. They brought a bit of aggression mm-hmm. to to the middle that was maybe lacking in what was an unexpected lackluster first half that saw the Eels down by plenty at half time in that trial against Penrith. And we know that Ocean is already making waves <laughs> he's, he's you, you, oh, you that, can, you that can, sounds really bad I'm almost tempted to say go back and edit that out because that just I, I, you say that but you know uh, can, if Ocean can make it all the way to the end of roll but the commentator is going to love uh, breaking out that pun whenever he makes a, a good play he really has brought an impact when he's yeah. got onto the field since joining the Eels he's down from Queensland uh, he and his brother Devontae, who's in the SG ball. Yes, so he's a big inclusion in the team. And look, Jordan, Jordan Uta and Tyson Sangalang were also in the middle uh, as the starting middles with uh, Tyson there at lock forward. I thought those two have also been outstanding. Agreed. And it's, yeah. and it's uh, a bit unfortunate that Mikhail Tito is starting off the bench, but... Some, someone has bring, to when you've only got three spots for four great players, right? Yeah, so that's going to bring some genuine impact off the bench to be able to bring on someone like Tito there. Uh, actually, I thought Lockie Kanakis has done a really good job. He's 
has that uh, he, he's like a he is a replacement dummy up, but he's like one of those utility yeah, can dummy cards who can forward. play in lock forward, yeah, lock forward or back row. Very busy, uh, very physical in how he plays. So um, look, what is unavoidable from talking about with the Harold Mats is their errors, the number of mistakes or. Um, just little loss of discipline here and there that last week saw them down 8-1 in the penalty count Yep. at one stage. And look, we had some question marks about decisions and what was happening out there. But the bottom line is there are mistakes that are being made. And over the last two weeks, they've often backed up a handling error with giving with conceding a penalty. Yeah, so you doubled down on the, the mistakes and seed so much field position and territory and yeah. you know talking to Brownie he sort of mentioned how they sort of got caught up in the, the decision making of the referee and it sort of harkens back to something we always speak about when it comes to previews and it's controlling what you can control and in that That's case it. you know just get to your kick finish your sets make your tackles and yeah the opposition is going to throw some different things at you that are going to make you make a mistake here and then but if you're getting to that 70-80% completion rate that that is almost putting you to a guaranteed victory in the junior reps honestly yeah, absolutely. And the thing is about the Eels in the, and this particular team is something that we spoke about with Nathan Brown and it always it had also been there in some of our post-match discussion is that they had that strength of character that when they had that opportunity right at the death with that play that they iced the big play. The huge yeah. shift from the, left to the right. execution to, to stack the left with pressure and then shift it to the right and finish it with that clean set of passes. Yeah. And with the pressure on and them looking down the barrel of two straight losses to commence the season, to score with like 30, 40 seconds left on the clock because if they hadn't got the try there, they weren't going to get possession back. No. So it was... I guess they had great faith the in their own factor. ability yeah, to exactly. execute. Exactly. So, so, yeah, whilst their game was still full of errors, there was certainly that encouragement that they had that uh, resilience in them to be able to hold on, hold on, when there was a lot of pressure being applied that they could have easily cracked because they literally had to withstand an attacking raid just before they got possession and were able to work the ball downfield for that play. So we'll give it, even though it wasn't, uh, it was far from perfect. We have to give it a massive tick for how they were able to execute at the end to snatch the win. Mm-hmm. And of course that brings us to the final game, the SG ball, a couple of changes here as well as Eels unable to field unchanged lineups, in any of the grades this week as the attrition and whatnot takes place three weeks in, but starting at fullback, uh, upper t- upper title, sorry, who uh, Brownie mentioned. I think he's got what five or six tries on the season now, just across two games. Had a really nice, if somewhat understated, start to this campaign for him. He hasn't been the you know sort of the eye catching guy who's just doing his job fantastically well. Uh, but on the flanks, Cody Parry, who bagged a double on the weekend, following up his uh, double hat trick and round run. He's going to be partnering Muhammad Alamadine on either side there in the centres. Unfortunately, Richard Penasini looks like he's succumbed to some form of shoulder. Um, bicep, I'm not sure, injury, he was, he was cradling that right side of his uh, shoulder uh, and he's going to be replaced by Tavaku Palu. Uh, you mentioned him before, 60s, but Devonta Vivella, he's the other centre. 
In the halves, Ethan Sanders will work with Josh Lynn once again. They were very good last week. Front row, speaking of very good, they were outstanding. But there is a change this week. Uh, looks like Lance Fulham has dropped out of a team. I'm just trying to do the maths here for him. No, he's, in the, he's still on the bench. So uh, it's going to have Sam Tuvati partnering Saxon Pryke in the front row. Uh, Matty Arthur Buds is the dummy half. In the back row, Dom Destratus is back. He'll start on one edge with William Lewis. On the other side, Charlie Geimer captains the team from lock forward. On the bench, Paddy Spence. He's the dummy half utility, but he was playing the centres last week when he replaced Richard Penicini and did such a fantastic job. Uh, but he's going to be joined on the interchange by Seb Piucala, who was outstanding as well. The big LeBron Tuala, and then Lance Fort Lima, who swaps places with Saxon Pryke, as I mentioned before. Uh, Raf Destratus and Sam Squire are the reserves. And yeah, this is a very good team still, even for the changes, 60s. Uh, I'm not surprised Saxon Pryke has been used in the middle. Uh, but I, I mean, maybe they just like the composition on the bench with Lance Fort there a little bit better because that gives them, well, probably lacking some impetus in that second rotation through the middle. Uh, but with Lance there, he's going to do a good job there because I think it was partnering pretty well with Sam Tuovati. Uh, but yeah, that gives him a bit more penetration and consistency on the interchange. Yeah. You also had the situation where in that first week, Dom Destratus was one of the picks of the of that match True. and found himself initially named on the bench last week and then he dropped out of the team with injury. Mm-hmm. But to see him not actually selected in the starting 13 was a massive surprise. When you saw who was coming in for him yeah. in Saxon Pryke, you were like, okay, well, it's pretty hard to keep Saxon out and someone has to go. But is Saxon more of a middle player? I'm going to suggest that based on what I saw last year, he is a middle and going to develop into a very good middle forward. Mm-hmm. He got a bit of experience in the NRL preseason and was, I would have suggested, was one of the best conditioned players. The work that he was putting in was outstanding. And it was right, I mean, it was right up there with the, if we're talking about the squad as an entirety. So he caught the eye, not just last year in his form. And can I just mention as well, Right at the back end of the season with the jersey flag, he got a couple of runs and did not look out of his um out of his level there. No, in fact, he I thought he was one of the best on field in the final match against the Newcastle Knights. Newcastle were sitting, I think, second on the table going into that last round match. So he helped to dominate the Newcastle pack. So yeah, look, it's it's a strong lineup. They still haven't hit their straps. No, no, they've gotten. Uh, I suppose it uh, could have been a great win against the Roosters if they sort of held onto the ball like you're talking about. And then uh, a late flourish against the Tigers got them well and truly home. But you're sort of seeing glimpses of how good this team could be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good sign if you're mm-hmm. starting the season and you're not producing your best because you don't want to be producing your no, best. You don't want to, you want to peak too early, exactly. Yeah. And if you're not playing your best and you're still getting the wins, that says there's something inherently really good within the team. And I think they've they've shown glimpses of not just the attacking football that they can play, but there was a real lot of tenacity last week because I think it's fair to say that the Tigers had the better of the opening 20, 25 minutes yep, of that game. I agree. So, yeah, uh, uh, now I'm 
I'm just thinking the uh, the Steelers a win and a loss, or are they? Uh, uh, the Steelers are. If I just consult the handy dandy uh, drawerooski, they started the season with a narrow loss to the Penrith Panthers, sixteen to fourteen. And then in week two, did they have the bye? No, they played, and they beat the Melbourne Storm, who were playing SG, uh, SG Ball this year. Yeah. There you go. I, I missed that. But, yeah, they travelled to win, uh, no, to Victoria and beat them 34-20. So they've uh, split their results, a uh, win and a loss in the first two rounds, and then they obviously host the Parramatta Eels this week. Uh, just have a quick look at that team against the Melbourne Storm, see if we recognise any surnames. Or any players I've seen before? Mm. Uh, not really. There's nothing that really jumps out at me. There probably is some sort of bloodline relation that I'm missing, but no one that really jumps out. But yeah, for the for the L60s, if they just continue doing what they've been doing and building on that, they're going to be a hard team to beat. They've got a, a very strong forward pack, a really high-quality spine across uh, Woods, uh Obviously, Ethan Sanders, Josh Lynn, and then at fullback, uh, Upper Tweedle's doing a great job there too. So, yeah, this is a, a very well-rounded team. The only thing that can really stop them, I feel like, is themselves. Yeah. You, there's players spotted throughout this SG Ball team that have been identified by the club as having a genuine future at the club. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a mix of the forwards and of the backs. And you mentioned the spine. Well, Matt Arthur's one of the standouts in the grade in uh, dummy half position. Then you've got Josh Lynn and um, Arpa Twidal, who were both who they were both playing in Queensland. Both have been brought down into the Parramatta system here. Uh, I've done a really really good job landing on their feet. It must be said they've just been. Uh, Pretty much seamless in how they've uh, joined the team and helped facilitate running the the full squad. Yeah, and obviously Ethan Sanders is fairly well known to Eels supporters, and he did uh, a large part of the NRL preseason. So he's got a lot of, I guess, there's a lot of expectation around Ethan. Yeah. So this year it's going to be how does I think it's as much a question about how he manages expectation because he's after being one of the stars in Jersey flag last year. And I should point out to people who aren't aware that last year was his first year that he was eligible for SG ball. So he was only turning 18 18 last year and he played the first couple of games in SG ball. And then he disappeared because he was put up to Jersey flag and he played the Jersey flag season as, and was one of the stars of the Jersey flag. Come this year, he's back again starting in the SG ball. Now, whether he stays for the entire season or whether he jumps back up and joins the Jersey Fleg squad, well, it looks like he's probably going to be playing a little bit longer. How long he plays, uh, how he handles that weight of expectation, if he can just, if he can cast any expectations right, right to the side, don't even think about them and just concentrate on his football, then he's going to have a standout year because I think there will be opportunities that will be available for him. But then again, you know, 
football's a strange thing. If you you don't want to get ahead of yourself, is, no. is what I'm saying. No. Now he seems like a very grounded player. So, and, and he started quite solidly this season. Uh, that when that left side is functioning, well, it's it's starting a lot of times with the work that he's doing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, I mean, it'd be interesting if he gets to the form that he was showing in the Jersey flag last year, he'd be near unstoppable in the SG ball. Um, Whether he plays, but of course there's that question mark, is he going to play out the entire SG ball season? I I guess time will tell. Yeah, bearing in mind that he plays this week, can play next week, and then the week after when the NRL starts, the Jersey flag also starts. So the club will have a decision to make at that juncture as to whether he stays there or comes up to the flag, and we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But for now... He's going to help hopefully lead this team to a 3-0 start in the season with a win over the Steelers on Saturday. And that Are means... you tipping wins across all three grades again this week, mate? Um, we, looking, had, looking we had a at triple the, last week. We had the, the big triple last week. Uh, I feel pretty confident tipping the SG ball. Uh, the Tasha Gale is a bit hard to get a read on because there was a, some good wins there. for the. Uh, there was a good win and then a buy, sorry, for the uh, Steelers. So not really a lot of track record to work with there. Uh, but, yeah, you'd, you'd be hopeful that all three grades can back up what we saw on Saturday where they were playing in probably the worst conditions they're going to play all year by some margin and then can really build on that into the midpoint of the season. I guess what I'm looking for with the Tasha Gale girls is exactly that. I want them to build on that second half. If they can build on that second half, then you can see that going a long way towards the win. However, if they start tentatively as they did in the first two matches because they were tentative against the Roosters in the early part of the first half, fought their way back quite well in the second half, but they still started tentatively. They were pretty much the same in the first half against Manly before really smashing their opponents away in the second half. I don't think they can afford to do that against the Steelers. So I I would say there that uh, what might be telling will be that first 20 minutes. Um, I'm going to tip the SG ball to continue on their winning ways. And given a better completion rate, I see the Harold Matthews also getting a win this week. Mm-hmm. And yeah, So I'm going the treble, mate. I'm... Uh, pro, yeah, with that proviso around that first 20 minutes <laughs> of the yeah. Tasha Gale. And uh, wins in all three grades would be significant in terms of pushing them right into the mix for a top spot in each of their grades on the ladder. So let's hope they can get it done and then move towards round four. Let's get into uh, a smallish slate of NRL news. Uh, some non-Paramatta stuff. One Paramatta thing to talk about. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. Can we do I, – I feel like I'm missing Spiro that much. I think it would help me to just get through the next couple of weeks before Spiro joins us again to have our news team assemble. Ask and you shall receive. News team, assemble! That's better, mate. Now I'm feeling <laughs> Oh goodness! This is the this is the preview episode. But preview with a I, slice of news. I, I'm missing I'm missing our good mate Spiro. I'm missing our midweek podcast. I can't wait for it to start again. So now you've got me <laughs> in the right mood. Uh, so you kick off the news cycle with 
both confusion and clarity because we had an announcement from the NRL this week about the framework for the NRLW portion of a new CBA getting ironed out in the negotiations last week where if I just quickly run over what the NRL reported, uh, we have uh, updated salary caps uh, where in 2023 it would be $900,000, eventually heading to a 1.518, so one one and a half million uh, and a bit more in 2027, obviously scaling up every year in between then, uh, where it would be a $50,600 minimum wage per player in that year. Uh, and then on top of that, there was talk about all the peripheral stuff, pregnancy, parental policies, uh, all, the, all the things that the, the ladies were fighting for as support outside of just a salary cap. Uh, but as of this morning, the RLPA has put out a statement of their own, uh, once again, sort of saying that there isn't, hasn't been any progress, uh, despite having, uh, they said, relative progress was made during last week's negotiations, as well as Tuesday's announcement uh, of an in-principle agreement for the NRLW financial terms. But overall, but somehow this hasn't helped make the party, both parties make further progress. Uh, and they've claimed that the RLPA, the NRL, sorry, hasn't budged uh, on the financial figures that they'd agreed upon in terms of overall figures and the, like the sort of substructure of it. And so, the, yeah, it's, so things haven't changed really in the big picture. So still a mess before uh, round 160s. We've got the final trial now and then another week after that and it's season kickoff. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say at this point, but one step forwards, three steps back in this case. Yeah, <clears throat> and I just want to say, and I, I wrote this in the bumpers up column, just with regard to the female game, because a lot of people do say that they're not they're not producing enough revenue for the game or for the clubs, the code, whatever, to expect higher salaries. Now, there's obviously a, a logic in arguing that, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that people aren't entitled to have that opinion or that that opinion is completely wrong. However, and there's a big however, it is the NRL that is pushing for the rapid expansion of the NRLW. Yeah. It's the NRL that is bringing in team after team and have this uh, policy with their expansion that because there are expansion teams that the girls can't sign multi-year deals and get some sense of security. job security. Mm-hmm. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't expect to say, here's our product. Uh, by the way, these players that are now committing to a 20-week season are on the, uh, an amount of money that doesn't allow them to be approaching anything near full-time professional players. And let's face it, that... Uh, and I know people are going to say, well, that's only 20 weeks out of the year. But we're talking about athletes. There's there's plenty of athletes that are around in various sports around the world that earn money. And yes, they're probably playing in some sports that get television ratings or uh, draw big gates at stadiums, whatever the case may be, uh, have sponsors that are interested. But these girls that are playing, as I said, it's the NRL that wants to deliver the product. They want to say there there is a female version of the game that has elite athletes playing in a high standard competition. So if you want that, even before maybe it's completely ready, 
you have to be prepared to wear the cost. So I think it's fair and reasonable that there is an increase in money that's coming up for NRLW players. Whether they ever get to the stage where they are attracting the same sort of money as male players, uh, it's probably not on the immediate horizon. I think that, personally, I think the female rugby league, women's rugby league, can be the best female football code in the world. Oh, even beyond that, can arguably be the best female sports code. The, yeah. the, the level of play is that good. And it is worth mentioning here, you talked about, you know, people saying that they're not necessarily earning their keep uh, or thereabouts, that the average salary for an entry-level position in Australia is, you know, mid-$70,000 in 2023. And we're talking that in 2027, they're going to be getting $50,000 yeah. a year. So that's how far behind the eight ball they are in terms of making it uh, a full, like a livable income as a professional athlete. So yeah. it's, it's uh, I don't know. That, that rubs me a bit wrong because, you know, you're, there is certainly justification talking about the competition need to earn its like earn its keep amongst the you know the distribution of income uh, for the code. But like we said, the NRLW is setting a very high standard. It's not like it, it is dragging its heels and and being an issue uh, for the game to sell the rights. The NRLW is actually a, a net positive asset to sell the rights for TV and uh, digital broadcast. So yeah, definitely some stuff to be done there still. Yeah, and I'm and I don't like to draw a comparison but I'm going to I tried to watch some of the AFLW and it, it, we're talking chalk about and what chalk and cheese yeah we're talking about what an 18 I think they're an 18 team competition yeah. with teams that have how many players that are that are actually on the field at any one time uh, I'm not an aficionado of AFL but I was watching games there and thinking to myself, they surely, surely expanded well beyond what they should have. Because they're, and again, I don't want to be critical because I believe me, I'm not being critical of female sport in any way. I love watching the uh, NRLW. It's, and there's, I think it's in many ways, it's a purer form of rugby league than what the male game is with it. It started off where you, you're not getting the rubbish around the ruck that you get in our, in NRL. So, but I have to say there was some rubbish games in the AFLW. I mean, really rubbish games. And I think to myself, why are they rubbish games? Because it expanded too quickly. Because, and when you look at the player, some the background of some of the players, and I know that there's there's players in the NRL W who have various sporting backgrounds. Uh, a lot of those, of course, being rugby union um, as well as rugby league. But there was there's some athletes who are pure athletes in in different codes in AFL. W, but they didn't have an AFLW background, and they've they've ex- they expanded with a lot of players that were really learning the code. Uh, much the same as when they raided the NRL stocks and were getting the likes of Israel Folau mm-hmm. learning how to play the game, like actually having to learn how to play the game. Um, but they really expanded fast, and 
I don't think it's beneficial for their for the standard of their game. It's caused a lot of um, social media arguments that have drifted into almost like a gender war as a result of that. And, that, and that's terrible that it ended up as a gender yeah. war. I just I just think that when you are talking about expansion, I hope that the NRLW stays at around that 10. Yeah, go go mark. vertical expansion when it comes to the amount of rounds played and whatnot rather than horizontal yes. expansion for teams. Yeah. Correct. I'd like to see a home and away series yep, 100%. with those with those 10 teams and we can't then have a situation where we have an expansion and the teams can't sign up players on multi-year deals because oh there's a new team coming in we have to make everyone free agents or there's two new teams coming in. Everyone has to be free agents again and supporters don't get to see their, the players running around again in their team or they don't know if some of their favourite players or some of the players that have become integral to their team will get to play for their team again. And I think that's, I think that's a shame. I know we were able to get um, a lot of returning players to the different clubs this year, but there was obviously quite a few as well that changed uh, clubs and that led to the Newcastle team yeah, and the Parramatta team playing in the grand final mm-hmm. against each other. Completely reset the landscape of the competition. Yes, but if you, if you started doing that where you've got 10 teams in already, imagine the chaos that the marketplace is going to be then. Yeah. So I'd like to think that any future expansion past past 10 teams is going to be done with a lot of care and yes. yeah, due diligence done because on two accounts, because you talk about job security for the women's 60s, but also creating a cultural identity for each of these clubs with players to celebrate and build around and champion. So Absolutely. You know, it's huge for the fabric of the game. So let's get that done. Right, yeah, so I just wanted to I just wanted to add that in there because I thought that it was important that they that they get the women's side of the collective bargaining agreement sorted and I know that there's going to be people listening to this and thinking you know they don't agree and that, and that it's for whatever reason but the reality is as I said it's the NRL that wants this rapid expansion. So if they if they want the rapid expansion, they have to be prepared to find a way to make that happen. Now, how much this now flows on to the individual clubs to be able to find the extra money for the players may well be interesting. But Parramatta had a great model where we the Eels were self-sufficient in relation to the salary cap, the money that was being spent on the team, and their revenue. So via sponsorships and what have you, they were able, and, and any grants, they were able to cover their expenses for the team. So there was no, there, uh, there is a model out there. How it works, how effectively it works with a higher salary cap will be interesting. But as I said, yeah, if you want the product, and you want it to find a place in the market these days, we're not talking about going back 50, 60 years and growing a semi-professional sport. They basically want to say, we've got a professional female code 
of elite and it's filled with elite athletes playing at the highest level that you'll find in the world. Hey, if you want to be able to say that, you've got to be able to attract the players and keep the players. And if you want to do that, guess what? You have to pay for it. Yeah, exactly. Yes, indeed. And speaking of paying for it, 60s, the Cowboys are paid for it. Jeremiah Nanai has reset the edge back row market with his four-year $3.6 million deal to stick around at North Queensland for the better part of half a decade, uh, 900k a year. Good money? No. He's a very talented young player, but we've only seen a little of him in his tenure in first grade. It's interesting when you get teams that are prepared to pay big money for players that are outside the spine and outside the starting props. Because I think once you start to get outside the middle and outside the spine, if you're paying for an elite player, and then there are elite players in different positions, that player really has to be able to produce. Now, let's take case in point, Mr. Fafita. What sort of money is he on? Well, he, he turned down some good offers elsewhere to sign a $1.25 million a year deal with the Gold Coast Titans across a few years. And certainly, I mean, it's worked out well for his bank account, but his actual on-field value has tanked significantly since signing that deal. I was going to say, how's that worked out for the Titans? Yeah, not so flash, not so flash. How does their, how does their roster look for this year? Yeah, incredibly imbalanced. So... The, yeah, what be, what be probably benefits the Cowboys is that they've moved swiftly to lock up a number of their core players to what I imagine are you know somewhat below market rates. You're talking about guys like Robson, Townsend, uh, Dearden, uh, which sort of you know balances against the monster, the monster deals they've got for the likes of Tamalolo, Holmes, and now Nanai. And obviously Holmes and Tamalolo signed when they weren't as good a club that didn't sort of explode like they did last year. But yeah, I guess they're a team that every team's got to have, will have their players that are their bargain players that give high return on a, on a below market for their position, not necessarily for, for who they are, that they're, that they're getting below market money. I'm saying the money that they're having to shell out in that position is, is below maybe market value for that position. And as you suggested, you've got players in their spine who are not what you'd suggest would be in high demand in an open market where they're attracting the, the, the top money that's going around. Yet, here they are as a top four team last year, albeit out of the blue, but they've done it with... Would you suggest that the players that they've done were able to achieve it with uh, what you'd call, I'm trying to think of the rugby league term they like to use for players in, in that sort of position. Is it, it's not unfancied. It's unheralded. Um... No, that's not, that's not the right word for it, but it's anyway, I guess it's the, it's, it's players that they, they're not regarded right at the top of their tree. So, um, yeah, they've had a they had a really good year last year, and let's face it, they had that game against us in the preliminary final in the grand final qualifier. That was close to being a lock. 
when you got into the back half of the game. It's a home match for them. It's horrid conditions for the Eels to be playing in, but Parramatta found a way to win, found a, ma- a way to overcome a two-score deficit to get in front and get the win. So uh, do they, by locking up someone like Nanai, they, I guess they are committed to continuing that, I know what the uh, the term was, it's an unfancy player, isn't it? Yeah. The, the players that are the unfancied ones, the ones that people don't really talk about when they talk about who they'd like to attract to their club. How many... How many punters out there, league supporters, were saying, yeah, I'd like to have a Chad Townsend at my club? They're probably going to rattle off a whole lot of other names before they rattle his name off. Before last year, how many how many supporters of clubs would have said, oh, yeah, better chase that Tom Dearden? It's, it wasn't happening. And especially after his 2021, who how many clubs would have been knocking down the door of Robson. Again, not many. But all of those blokes did exactly what the coach needed last year. And as a unit, they were highly effective. So, you know, maybe that's a formula that works for them, having their elite players in other positions. Mm -hmm. But... uh, then what does that do to the marketplace now? Well, yeah, that's the question in general is what does this mean for a host of upcoming free agents in the back row? I mean, I know Nanai is a very coveted young talent, having set the uh, single-season try-scoring record for fours of 17 last year. But, geez, that's a lot of money and a lot of managers pointing towards that in future negotiations. And uh, I, I guess if I'm a player agent and I've got someone that I think is up there on a par or maybe just below the level of a, a nanoi, I'm going to be really pushing to see what the what the marketplace is, how interested they are in my player. So, yep. and, and I think you said before, even players in other positions, you've got to be saying, hey, if this uh, if a back row is worth 900000 what's my top shelf half worth? It's all relative, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, indeed. So, I mean, the Cowboys, very good last year. They were the beneficiaries of a relatively soft draw. And I think this year, the strength of scheduling says that both they and Cronulla get good draws again some way, somehow. But I'm going to be very interested to see whether they can back up uh, the high levels of fitness and, uh, you know, just aggression in defense and offense that they uh, were able to leverage on the back of that fitness in uh, 2023. But yeah, they're going to be an interesting story to watch. And just the shape of uh, the Queensland football in general between them and the uh, newly uh, christened Dolphins, I suppose, probably the way of putting it. Uh, you know, does the uh, landscape in Queensland change? So I have to wait and see how that all plays out. But let's talk about the only real... I was going to say you could ring Wayne Bennett and ask him, but it would depend whether he's watched the video yet or not. Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> um, let's talk about what I think is the... Only Parramatta news this week. Um, forgive us if I've gotten it wrong, but there was a, a bit of a, I wouldn't say developing story yesterday, but a little bit of gossip uh, coming out about a potential swap between the Eels and Sea Eagles, uh, between Nathan Brown and Morgan Harper. Um, I mean, the general reaction I saw wasn't happy from either side. 
Uh, I don't think Manly were too happy, or Manly fans too happy about getting Brown. I don't think Eels fans too happy about getting Morgan Harper. Uh, Harper, obviously, not really a a frontline option for us in the context of a fully strength backline, but would have been a, a depth option. But as far as we can tell, 60s, there's uh, not too much to this uh, potential rumour, is there? All I'll say at this stage is it looks like all those fans are going to get their wish. So, yeah, maybe maybe that one is going to get uh, much further than the uh, old newspaper or online columns, and that's it. So Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, wait and see, obviously, but maybe you'll be waiting a long time. Yeah. Okay, so that wraps up the NRL news. Let's get to the main event this week. The final uh, hit out of the preseason. There's all the squads in the preseason challenge now. 17 NRL teams and St. Helens, obviously, on the trip over here. Uh, they're looking to tune up ahead of round one of the NRL. Not St. Helens, mind you. They're not going to be playing NRL. But uh, the other 17 teams tuning up one last hit out in the preseason and the Parramatta Eels. They've announced what amounts to essentially a full-strength team, but it's not quite there. And there's a little bit of concern to talk about their 60s, which we will get to eventually. But let's start with the team. At fullback, you've got Quinton Gufferson. On the wings, Isaac Lumi Lumi and Sean Russell. In the centres, Will Penasini and Zach Sini. The two uh, Enies, Eni Mini Money Mo. I hadn't realised that until you've said it. Yeah, so the the Eni Mini Money Mo's. Uh, but yeah, in the halves, full strength spine now. Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses. Our first look at the uh, halves combination in 2023. In the front row, Reagan Campbell Gillard and Junior Barlow. They're back, getting their first hit out alongside Josh Hodgson. Really excited to see how that trio work together. In the back row, Sean Lane will be on the left. Matt Dory on the back of a pretty solid African spin of Panthers. He looks to have won the right edge starting position. Jermaine Hopgood, who was outstanding in that Maori and Indigenous All-Stars game, he's starting at lock forward. On the bench, Jake Arthur, Jack Murchie, Makassi Makatoa, and Wirumu Greg. Extended roster, Jordan Rankin, Offie Ogden, Jira Momasia, Kai Rodwell, Tony Matelli, Matthew Komalafi, Jaden Yates, Ryan Madison, and Luca Moretti. On the flip side, 60s, looking at the Knights team quickly, we'll just go to the starting 17. They haven't even got a starting 17. They've got a starting 16 and then a blank. Uh, they've got Lockie Miller at fullback, new recruit. Uh, Greg Mazu, one-time eel. He's on the wing. He'll be partnered on the wing by Dominic Young, who is a very uh, popular pending free agent, actually. Then you've got Dane Gagai and Bradman Best in the centres. In the halves, Callum Ponga. He's going to be in the six. He'll partner Jackson Hastings in the seven. New York spine, pretty much, for the Newcastle Knights, with uh, Jaden Braley being the only returning uh, spine member. He'll be in the number nine with the Saifidi boys on either shoulder, Daniel and Jacob in the back row, Tyson Frizzell, Lachlan Fitzgibbon and Kurt Mann. Phoenix Crossland, Leo Thompson, Jack Johns and to be announced on the bench, there is a missing player there. And then notable players on the extended roster, Tyson Gamble, uh, former Manly young gun, Christian Mapapalangi. Uh, then you got whew, Adam Clune. That's about it. Who I can recognise. So, yeah, Newcastle, yeah, pretty much what we expected from them. They're obviously, they're experimenting, sorry, Kalen Ponga in the halves. Uh, Lockie Miller, the new face at fullback. Plenty of strike in that back line, but not a lot of defence outside of Dan Gagai. Yeah, it's, I guess they've, you'd have to say they've underachieved a lot over the last few years. Yeah. But we're talking about a trial here. We know all too well about Parramatta playing Newcastle. Oh, in a goodness, trial. 2018. 
and, and what what a pointer to the season it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we all made that trip. Had a fantastic day out of mate. When it must be said, uh, but it culminated in a very polish performance by the Eels that did not translate to the season as things unraveled in the regular season. And obviously, since then, there's been massive changes on and off the field in terms of the restructuring of the football department and uh, who we've been targeting in recruitment and whatnot. And the Eels have gone from strength to strength to strength. So that that was an important juncture for the club, wasn't it? In a way, that 2018 trial, really, where it all went downhill from there. Because ever since, they've uh, they've been so strong, top four contenders week uh, week in. I mean, technically week in because they haven't been outside the top eight uh, ever since. But uh, yeah. Uh, I think I remember being at the ground and, and driving home and the discussion is how good are we going to go this year, especially as the team had finished in the finals the year before, finishing yeah. uh, fourth, I think, in 2017. Correct, off, yeah. Off and, the head. And you and, knocked and, off the uh, Storm and went in week one of the finals. So, yeah, like you said, the, there's only so much stock you can put into a preseason result either way. And we saw a lot of doom and gloom after the loss to Penrith last week in what was essentially a reserve grade trial. And oh, the like, sky fell in. Yeah, but likewise, if we come out this week and absolutely polish the Newcastle Knights again, we're not going to be saying, yippee, we're going to go to the grand final and win it. So you've got to put a little bit of context to these wins. But for the Eel 60s, uh, it's a very good team in the forward pack. Very, very good. Uh, but I look at that back line, look at that bench, and there's some question marks. Let's start with the back line. No Wanga, no Bailey, no Hayes. Now, none of them named even in the extended roster, which doesn't necessarily... And no Mike Acevo too, sorry. That's a big one. There, so four key outside backs, none of them named to even get a little bit of game time in this one. There's got to be some concern for round one now. Yeah, well, there's not really been anything documented by the Eels about injuries uh, at all, really. This no, there's uh, been a little pre-season. bit in the media when they've been doing their updates, and I think most of it was, or the best of it was, that Wang is on track for a round one return. So yes. uh, he's, uh, you see him in the training galleries, he's got a brace on his arm, which makes sense when you're coming back from a broken arm. Um, yeah. But we hadn't heard anything about Micah, and now he's out. We knew that Bailey was going to be a while uh, coming back from that shoulder injury in the grand final. And we knew that Hayes was going to be, not necessarily a while, but they were going to take care getting him back into full match fitness as he battles back from that awful knee injury that he sustained in the, chorus, well, the corresponding game to last week, last year. So... It, you know, obviously there's a duty of care here to try and get the best out of your players in the long term, but yeah, it is a bit spooky seeing four of them unavailable for the last trial of the preseason. But on the flip side, Isaac Lumi Lumi, Zach Sini. I mean, Sean Russell, you already had me believing that he was going to be a fit potentially regardless of injury, be it centre or wing. Uh, yeah. But for Sini and Lumi Lumi, what a massive opportunity. Oh, yeah, opportunity knocks, as they say. But the thing is, at the same time last year, we had a, a bit of a crisis around the outside backs about what was going to happen because we had some injuries. It meant that Sean Russell was uh, starting on the wing and I think it was Murata was getting game time out in the centres or was that the previous year with Murata getting game time in the centres? But we've had issues around the outside backs early in the season and oh and well I I do know that last year we were or well, how many how many players ended up getting a run it feels at, like it was six or seven line. players deep in our, yes. our back line last year because obviously Russell started the season on the wing gets injured in round one with the uh the slide tackle 
And then after that, who did we just they, they fell off? So round two, we took on the Sharks, and then we had Tom Opachik in the centres, Bowie on the wing, uh, to replace Sean Russell. Then the week after was that stirring win against Melbourne Storm, uh, and so we actually had the same backline there. So it started falling apart after that. It looks like. Uh, no round. Well, I think we got to the state. Uh, Hayes Perham was playing. Yeah, Hayes Hayes Perham played. Uh, I know was Murata not available throughout this stretch. Yeah, Murata's not not in the team. So yeah, we, yeah. We that's why I was a... doing a bit of a. That's why I was doing a rethink because he was he played because um... we we bottomed out against the Cowboys where yeah we had Dylan Brown playing the centres, Hayes Perham on the wing, yes, uh, Will Penasini and that Bally Simonson, the only really recognisable frontliners. When it came yes. to the the backline there, yeah. So it was we were having issues around having to really dig deep into the depth chart uh, last year. So I guess we're seeing that them having to dig into the depth chart in the preseason this year. Now, when these players are going to be fully fit and available, you said a key thing, which is they're not going to rush players back. Hayes wouldn't be too far away at all. Uh, I I haven't had an exact I haven't had any quotes or anything like that from staff. It's been kept pretty quiet about where it's at, but I've watched him train. I'm I'm guessing that if he is fit by the start of the season, they may not risk him in first grade. They might want him to have a a run because he hasn't had any trial matches. They might want him to have a run in reserve grade in for New South in New South Wales Cup to get some match fitness back into his play. Yep. Uh, it, it might turn out to be the same for someone like Bailey Simonson. I doubt that it would be the same with Wonga Blake because he's only missed out a bit of the preseason with his injury. He He's not coming back from an injury last year that he's having to do, that he had to rehab all through the preseason where you go, well, he's underdone. He, he, his was uh, an issue, I think, in January that came about. So I'm expecting that um, if he's available, I wouldn't be surprised if he might be a chance for round one. But, again, it just comes back to what the medical staff say. And we know that Parramatta won't rush anyone. No. So, like Please. you said, there's opportunity Lumi, there. Lumi and to really... You know, shore up their spots as the first drop centre winner. Yeah, yeah. And now you might be able to answer this because someone asked me this question, and I'm throwing it to you without notice. We haven't discussed it in any way. Uh-oh. Haven't had you haven't had any time to prep for it. Gets Google so, search ready. So, okay, when you apply for dispensation to play a, someone outside of the top thirty, and this is essentially what you would be talking about if you wanted to play. Either Lumi Lumi or Zaxini in round one. Yep. They look at the rest of your depth chart and see whether you've got other players that are experienced in those positions. I believe so, yes. Okay. So does it then come down to whether the player that you've got that you can call on is experienced or not? Now, what I mean, what, the reason I'm referring to that is that uh, Samuel Luizio, who is um, a centre at the moment in uh, for the New South Wales Cup, that's where he's been training. But, of course, he's played 
throughout his pathways and into the lower grades. Um, at five eight, he's played at centre. He's played at wing. In in that case, I imagine that the he's club got one one NRL game. Yeah, the club would, the club would argue uh, under the dispensation if they end up getting correspondence back that he is a specialist centre and would only be able to play him at centre. Okay, but if it, let's say we wanted to play Zaccini, would we be able to argue that Zaccini has more NRL games and that uh, Samuel Luizio only played one NRL game and that was uh, back in 2021 in the last match of the season? That's You're getting into very grey territory, I believe, where I think there's a, a lot of latitude to make decisions one way or the other. Because I'd, I'd imagine the NRL would be well within their rights to deny the application on that basis. Uh, if Luizio is fit, they would point to him and say, no, play him. Okay. So that then becomes, if, for example, none of those players were available, let's say Wonga wasn't available, let's let's also throw in that um, Sivo's not available, Dunster's not available, Bailey Simonson's not available... Uh, do they have to apply for exemption to get a centre like Zaccini playing? And would they say, well, it could fall down to either position because Samuel's top 30, would they say, well, you're going to have to pick him at either winger or centre? Yeah, I think I think in the past, the NRL's had that sort of a capability to say, well, no, no this player has played wing and centre in previous games, even if he is like a back role, like say something like Murata. So you'd be forced to pick him there. In this case, I don't know, if you've got that many injuries, maybe there's more latitude shown. Uh, bearing in mind that Samuel was not named this week, so there's no guarantee that he's fit too. Well, there's, I mean, that's that's the other thing there is that um, they had some faith in him for the first, in naming him for the first trial, but we don't know whether he got nicked up in the yeah, trial. exactly. Um, yeah, I, I, I was just wondering. I mean, the Eels have got, what, two spots available. Would you... And I know I know what their preference would be about whether you upgrade someone or not. They, they, they've got, shown that they want to keep at least one spot open for a season to be able yeah. to be active in the player market as that mid-season madness that invariably occurs takes place. Yeah, uh, and last year when we were having the crisis in the back line, there was no thought of upgrading someone or I think there might've been some thought to a recruitment. Yeah. Jermaine but there, was no, was a player but there, was, there was no thought of upgrading people so they could, uh, you know, play if needed. Uh, they ended up playing um, a whole range of different people, but they, they really avoided the upgrade because if you've got someone like Sini who's on a development contract, come round uh, round ten, then they can start using, using them freely, yeah, without restriction. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, Isaac Lumi Lumi, I don't, he's not even on development contract. No, he'd, he'd he's, be second he's tier. outside. He's yeah. second tier, so that's going to be interesting. But as you said, both of those players have the opportunity to push their claims for, well, I guess for in Lumi Lumi's case, for an upgrade 
and in Zach Sini's case, to be a serious consideration for first grade. Yeah, Sini on development deal for this year and next year. Uh, we both liked what we saw from his body of work last year, and he had a strong start against the Penrith Panthers in that trial last week. So he's got plenty of the proof. Uh, he has some, you know, real real opportunities in the, the not just this game, but the coming game to start the season to put himself in the frame as the preferred backup in the centre position. Um, and that starts with that game against Newcastle Knights. Looking across the rest of the starting team, 60s, no real surprises here. Full-strength front row, uh, quote-unquote full-strength back row with Matt Dury winning out that starting spot. Jeremiah Messia, though, looks to have torpedoed his uh, position in the depth charts. He went from starting last week with a real prove-it opportunity against Penrith. Now he's outside of the 17. He's in the number 20 jersey. Uh, looks like both Makassi Makatoa and Wiram McGregor have supplanted him as well as Matt Dury uh, on the bench. Uh, but outside of that, you've got Jack Murchie getting our first look at him. Excited to see that. And I don't think he's going to be like a superstar, but he just seems to be a, a really reliable presence that the Eels can use in the middle and on the edge. We love having that sort of flexibility on our bench players. Uh, and then Jake Arthur in the utility role. Uh, are you surprised to see Jake there, mate? Because I know the messaging last year was he was going to get uh, a prolonged run in the New South Wales Cup to help further his development. But here we are with him in the utility spot. Uh, do you think he plays that out in the regular season or is this a case of just, you know, shuffling things around, tweaking things in a trial? I think it's going to be... A, I think there's a mix of both possibilities there. Now, you've got both he and Rankin listed uh, uh, outside the top 13 for this week. Forget about the numbers that are on their back. What's going to happen is at some stage early in the second half, They'll take both over the halves are coming off. Yeah, exactly. So they have to put some halves back on. Now, we spoke at length about the fact that the the halves played slow last week. I was open and I was quite open in saying that it probably was the least impressive performance that I'd seen from from Jake. But I think there was an overreaction to his play because number one, the middles, especially in the opening stanza last week, set zero platform. I mean, we're talking zero. Jira was getting his lines all mixed up, trying to run off him. And then in the second half, you, well, you saw what Tony Mattaelli and Matt Dury looked like running off Jake in the second half. Now, that they're not going to be having those sorts of games and running into holes like they were without the player inside them throwing them quality ball. That's just, that's just you know, it goes without saying. Mm-hmm. We would have liked to have seen a play being a bit more up-tempo. I guess we can make excuses for the for the lack of uh, the platform on, on some of the heat, but I think some of those middle players there, we talked about playing themselves out of a potential first-grade berth and some players played themselves in with a, a stronger chance. And you know what? That comes down to individual their own individual performances, what they wanted to do with that chance that they got last week. Now, did we throw anything in attack at the Panthers? We threw zero. And in the column yesterday, I wrote the one of the greatest pointers that I saw in the match was in a preseason competition where you get a bonus point for offloads, the team that last year threw more offloads than any other team with basically daylight second. So Parramatta threw nearly 400 offloads in the season last year. They averaged around 14 offloads per game. 
And last week they threw seven. And two of those came from wingers. So they threw five offloads uh, around the middle of the park. Parramatta's game, yeah, there's would... a huge part of our game is second phase. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned in the, the post-mortem that you felt like we sort of played to an ultra-vanilla game plan without much of what you'd sort of seen at training uh, being deployed on the field, and that sort of reinforces that, that doesn't it? Because, yeah, you're without Junior, uh, who's the most prolific offloader in the team, but our our really iconic second phase like football, it sets us apart from pretty much every other team in the competition. Mate, I can tell you right now, I, I use that example that our unstructured footy, we didn't really try to throw too much at them. Our structured football, the, the stuff that you work on through the preseason, some of the stuff that, um, you know, might get thrown in uh, that, I mean, the coaches, new coaching staff would bring. Um, uh, I didn't see any of it. So I'm looking at it and I'm going, well, we're not really throwing much. I hated that. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Like, I agree with it, but I hate it. I agree with the philosophy behind it. Don't don't show what you're going to do. But I'm selfish. I want Parramatta to win every (laughs) game they play in. If I'm if I'm sitting there as a fan, and I'm bored, stupid by what I'm seeing, or frustrated by what I'm seeing, you know, my first reaction is an emotional one. As as a fan, I'm not logical. I can sit back, uh, you know, a couple of hours later, and go, oh, okay, well, there's this, this, and this, and then they come in days. You'll get a few stats, and you go, uh, you know what? Maybe it wasn't as bad as we thought because, you know, there's this, there's this. These stats look very similar. Geez, you know, the opposition basically scored two intercept tries. Um, Was it as bad as I thought? Maybe not. So then the logic starts to kick in and maybe that glass half full (laughs) as well starts to kick in, right? But I hated watching it. Yeah. Yeah. And we had to do, we had to do an instant instant reaction. Instant postmortem, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and I even think back and I go, was I even harsh and unfair myself in the comments I made? I thought I was trying to be circumspect and, and logical with some stuff. But, uh, man, the reaction that's come out, especially about Jake, my goodness. You know, um, so to your question that you started off asking, am I expecting him to be there um, in the season proper? Is it a pointer to that? As I said, I think there's, there's a little bit of both. I think that they do want to stick with giving him as much game time throughout the season as the halfback in the New South Wales Cup. However, if there's a scenario like there is in the first round where Parramatta are playing, early, the NRL's playing early in the week and the New South Wales Cup's played later in the week, if he wants to have cover for players such as um, Hodgson or the halves, or maybe he wants him back on the bench and he's, he's got a bit of utility value in some of the other, in, in both Moses and Brown, who can easily fit into other positions and he thinks it's more worthwhile getting a replacement half in there than what he's got to offer in terms of the depth chart in outside backs and he doesn't want to have an outside back on the bench because maybe they can't cover as many positions. Well, they also don't have enough outside backs to make a first-grade back line. 
so it may well look it, it may well be and now in the opening rounds if we are playing anyone from the group of four who are injured through the preseason you'd think okay well you you probably want to have some sort of coverage for the for the back line so maybe just maybe you start you might see in the first rounds or early rounds that Jake might be there. I don't honestly. I don't know. And I haven't been. I haven't suggested that he should be picked during the preseason. Like last year's preseason, I, I said he was dominating sessions, and I couldn't see. Uh, I felt it was going to be tough to deny him a spot. Like people rubbish my commentary or, uh, about what he was like in the preseason, or they they might say. Oh, you know, that's geez, the others must have gone crook for him to be as good as you're saying he was. No, he was that good. And I've seen a lot of pre-seasons. And in so, but instead this year, I've said that Mitch Moses, when he's come back, has trained better than I've ever seen. As for Jake, Jake's just been consistent. Like he he looks confident as a training as a first grade footballer, he had to be the halfback until both Moses and Brown returned, and you didn't see Dylan Brown come back until the new year. So all through the time when World Cup players were missing, Jake was the halfback outside Josh Hodgson. Jake was the player that Hodgson became most familiar with during that period of time. That's why Hodgson gave reference to Jake yeah. in a in a media interview. And while I would like to see Jake start the season in the New South Wales Cup, the other side to all of this too is that we need we need three or four players to put their hands up and say, we have to be picked on the bench. You have to pick us on the bench. And right now, the Eels have a bit of a um, crisis is probably too strong a word. But uh, we get our first look at Jack Murchie, and I've got him penciled in for a bench spot in round 160s based on what you've been telling us in your reports. But no Ryan Madison for three rounds. Jeremiah Macias sort of got out of the box a bit slow, so did Offerke Ogden and Kai Rodwell. Uh, Matt Cassie, Makatoa, and William McGregor, the presumptive bench players right now heading into round one, given what we're seeing in this team list. But if the Eels are to make that big final step in 2023, we've got to get some juice off the bench. We need these guys whoever it is, to step up and say, pick me, I'm going to dominate in the second and third rotations. Yeah, well, basically what we're say- what you're saying there is uh, people were, are concerned about what if we get an injury in the backs. Well, we've got four injuries in the backs right now. What if we get an injury in the forwards? Now, Ryan Madison helps to change the complexion of that because if he was named on the bench this week, people would be saying, oh, yeah, that's that's a pretty solid-looking bench. And if uh, Momosia had had taken some of his recent training form and carried it into the trial game, people might be going, okay, I can, I can see where the Eels are heading with this bench and what they're going to produce from there. And now this week, I, I can understand why people are saying, is that our bench? At our bench, we don't know anything about Murchie. Makatoa's been there before. Wiramu Gregg's been there before. And Jake Arthur's there as like a, a half utility. So where do we bring the impact from the bench? I mean, it's a valid question. I guess 
at this stage, without Madison there, like you said, this player's going to need to step up. Wiramu Greg showed the first signs of that. He And we know that Makahesi Makatoa, he is just a good, solid uh, replacement player. He's probably not going to be someone who is going to bring the big impact off the bench. He's going to be someone who's going to who's going to carry the ball for those dirty meters, and make his tackles, and BA knows what he's going to get from him. But he's not going to come. At, he's not going to go out there and do um, RCG things. He's not going to go out there and do Junior Paulo things. So, uh, is there anyone on the bench that can do that? Probably only when Ryan Madison returns will we have someone who's going to do that. Now. How's this going to affect the bench rotation if things don't change for round one? Can you see him? I mean, we talked last year about the amount of minutes that both Reg and Junior were playing. where They were high up in the 50 minutes, I think, from memory. And we were having games where BA was only using three players off the bench and giving a lot longer minutes for... Uh, junior and Reg, would you blame him? You could definitely see the starting for a the trio of starting middles getting leverage for big minutes in the first couple of rounds. Reg, yes. Junior, Jermaine, Hopgood. Uh, and Jack Murchie, I think, is going to be important in that equation too because he can spell Hopgood at the very least. I don't know if you can play him at prop, uh, at true prop, but you can at least have him in that middle rotation helping with the, the hard work there. Well, I think also in the warmer weather, that level of mobile middle forward that Murchie would be. Can shine a bit, would, yeah. Yeah, could really shine. And you know what? I've said all through the preseason, I'm locking him in on the bench because he'd been I, – I saw a lot of him because Junior and Reg weren't there. They they didn't get there till what, the third week of the of January. So I, I it was literally Murchie that was the the prop – that was standing out. So I had him as a lock-in. And, and, and I wasn't watching him and going, gee, we're in trouble if we can only trot Murchie out if, if Junior and Reg yeah. aren't available. I was watching what he was doing and thinking, you know what? This is, this is, this is good. He, 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 we, I mean, we started Oregon in some games last year. Correct. And Oregon had one of his best seasons last year. I'd put Murchie up there on a par with Oregon, with what I've seen. Yeah, so Murchie, so, I'm very excited to see, get our first look at him. And I know it sounds like we're really down on some of the other fringe forwards, but this is a real chance for Ogden, Momosia, Rodwell, and McIntyre and Greg Tour named in the, the top 17 to, you know, shore up a spot in the top 17 come round one. You know, one bad game against Penrith does not make an entire season. Uh, but going beyond that, a couple of young players, a trio of young players... We'll have a chance to maybe not get into the round one calculation 60s, but continue to build on some really promising performances against the Panthers last week. Tony Matelli, Matthew Komalafi, and Jaden Yates. They are down in the extended roster, but we're expecting them to get probably half a game of football, uh, given that, well, for for Jaden, he's almost certainly going to get half a game of football, given that there is no other dummy half named inside the 26, unless you count Jake, who's clearly going to be playing in the halves uh, in the second half. So he gets a chance to play 40 minutes of... Uh, High-quality football here against a good opponent. But, yeah, Tony Mattielli, very impressive him last week. He's on a dev contract this year, and we, sp- we spoke about the club's reticence to upgrade players uh, from internally uh, based on, like, sort of the schedule that they've got uh, in the top 30. But 
he could be a player that if he continues on his path might end up forcing the issue. Yeah. I love seeing it when the players come out and they deliver what you expected them or what you predicted them to yeah, deliver. Living up to the expectation that you sort of yeah, assigned yeah. the player. So there was Jaden Yates. So I named him as the best conditioned player from the preseason. I gave him the King Gutho best conditioned award. He's played in the curtain raiser last week and then come out and played 60 minutes in that heat and performed exceptionally well in the probably the position which was the most demanding in that heat. The dummy half, the player that's going to handle the ball more than anyone else, the player who is constantly having to follow the ruck around to get in there to dummy half, who's, who's going to be involved in more tackles than anyone else. And he shone in that position. I said that Tony Mattaielli was my tip for next to debut. He comes out there last week and he's one of the players that supporters are talking about after the clash. I love it when a bloke can continue what they showed in pre-season in the trials themselves. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying I'm, I've picked this person. I'm a, geez, I'm a great judge. Yeah. I'm just reporting what I'm seeing. So it was anyone that's sitting that was, had been sitting there with me for the preseason would go, geez, that bloke works his ass off. Right? That who's that? Jaden Yates. Man, how fit is he? Like that's what anyone would be saying watching the preseason. Well, they'd go, geez, that bloke playing on the edge looks good. He looks like he's got a bit of something extra. Who's that? Tony Mattaielli. Oh, geez, yeah, he's good. I mean, the what they were doing on the training track, they delivered in a trial game. And that's exactly what you want to see. So um, you mentioned there as well, Matt Komalafi. Now, we've seen a lot of Matt over the years because he came through in the same junior rep team as Jake and Will and Sean and Tony. Like They, they were all like coming through. I mean, Tony obviously went and uh, took himself up to Newcastle. And I think he also did a year at Manly. Uh, but he, he, he came through at the Kellyville Bush Rangers as well. So he's used to playing alongside those players. Likewise, Matt Komalafi. Mm-hmm. Matt's been a real uh, work in progress, hasn't he? Yeah. But he's he's almost like, in a way, I, I, I track his progress not too dissimilar to Hayes because Hayes came through with Dylan and the likes and um, Ethan Parry, and Hayes was the last to debut out of that particular group of players. And it's not that Hayes didn't have the talent. It's just that maybe he wasn't, you know, wham, bam, here I am, pick me. As soon as he got up into the NRL squad, he was a bit of a slower burn to get to first grade. Worked his backside off to get there won plenty of admirers for how he played once he did get there. Mm-hmm. Matt Komalafi, you and I know, he knows, he, if there's one thing he knows, it's how to score a try. His strike rate in the New South Wales Cup last year was insane for just a few games. Yep. What What did he get? Was it something like nine tries? Nine tries in about three, four games three or four or games? My, because it yeah. was, uh, I know there was a hat-trick, uh, Two tries and one try. So I think it was six tries and three. No, it was, it was about nine tries in four games. It must have been. I think maybe two hat tricks, yeah. two tries and one try. Yeah, 
Yeah, so it was, uh, and he had a really good solid season. He, he wasn't dealing with the, the sort of injuries that he had been dealing with previous years. And I think people have seen the, the photos of Matt and uh, how strong he is these days. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how he develops this year because he's going to want regular time in New South Wales Cup. He got splashes of time last year. So he's mostly playing jersey flag. And this is where uh, younger players like him aren't as advanced as some of his cohorts because the opportunities weren't there or they weren't ready to take higher grade chances. So yeah, he's got that he's got that chance as well. So yeah, it'll be good to see how how they go. Um, anyone else that you're interested in watching, mate? Uh, outside of that, I mean, because of so many of the core players, I'm I'm keen to see how they all come together. Obviously, Josh Hodgson, you know, seeing him in the the full first grade sort of environment is going to be very exciting. And then Matt Dory running off Mitch Moses, I think, is going to be good to see because I think that's a, just a it was a talk about peanut butter and jam sort of combination right there. I think the way he plays is not too dissimilar from Ice. Um, although he might not be as physically dominant as Ice, he's still a pretty handy footballer in his own right. And I think Moses will gel with that really nicely. And then the big one, I suppose, Jermaine Hopgood. You know, I've heard so many good things. I watched him dominate New South Wales Cup last year. I saw him star in the All-Stars game just recently. Uh, now he finally pulls on the blue and gold jersey. So hopefully he can have a good game here. Set him up for I think he's... Strong... Can I just jump in and say... I think he's important to our, the cohesion of our attack. It, it, almost as important as the spine players. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he goes and seeing whether what I saw at training actually shows up on the field. Now, again, I'm not expecting them to completely show their hand, but... I'm just looking forward to seeing what he uh, produces in a bit of a link role out there. Yeah, and I was going to say his combination with Josh Hodgson and the middles, the, the two starting middles there and Reg and Junior, as well as the other playmakers, is going to be fascinating to watch. And like you said, they're not going to tip all their cards this week, uh, but we'll probably get some insight into how it's, this combinations or combinations in plural is going to play out. And yeah, really keen to see just how he looks in general. Do you care about the result in this one, mate? No, no. Like, short of getting absolutely you know, blown out, um, I'll, I'll take a defeat where we get out of it unscathed again. Um, as long as we get some of our systems tidied up and in place. Uh, yeah, I, I don't care too much for the preseason challenge. I don't really care about preseason results at all. A win's obviously nice. You mentioned it, that as a you know fan of the game, you can't help but sort of cheer for your team in the moment and be upset when they're not playing great football or not getting the win. But you, know, you sort of just learn to... Temper expectations of preseason trials now. Uh, you know, I, I can't make any promises. I, I'm going to either be deliriously happy or, <laughs> or deeply upset with how that they play. But the criticisms that I make, I will probably be a little bit more circumspect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With, with them, and that's the big thing is that you got to remember it's a trial. So the end goal is to get out of it without injury. And obviously you want your team to be in you know, as good a shape as possible for round one. But I'd like to think that the Eels have certainly banked enough goodwill with their fans to trust that you know, since 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 22, you know, we've been, A, a very strong team to start the season, uh, which has been you know, 
irrefutably true. We've been arguably the most informed team start seasons across a number of seasons, a number of years now. But B, we've made year on year progress. So yeah, really looking forward to seeing what they can do this year and just getting through this game. Hopefully looking good, but also more importantly, unscathed. Yeah, and apart from that, para by thirty. <laughs> para by Mate, before, thirty. Before we wrap up, can I? I've been doing a lot of it lately, but can I remind Parramatta Leagues Club yeah, members please, guys. to please get please get out there and vote. the The closing date is getting closer. Twenty third, five o'clock. Twenty third, five pm. Twenty third of February. If you're listening to the podcast right now and you've got quick access, you, you might be listening. On, uh, on a device that allows you just to go in on your email yep. and get in there and vote. It'll take you no more than two minutes to get in there and vote electronically. Use your Please code, do it. vote for your free directors, and you're done. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I, I voted. The whole family's voted. It's nice and straightforward. It's We just want people to vote. I'm not going to tell anyone who to vote for. I mean, I, I think we're... we're we are travelling so well as a club. We're not uh, at the league's club, the football club. Uh, obviously, we we've fully disclosed that we've got our links with the with the club and their and the current board of directors. We've got to know them. They're great people. We we they're there watching us and talking to us after the post match functions. They're at Eels training. They're um, they're at, at junior reps. Uh, we cover the junior reps. And, and link with the club in our covering with the junior rep. So, yeah, we, we've got an association with them. But um, likewise, there's a there's a couple of candidates that look look really good as well. Um, I'm not going to tell people how to vote. I just want people to vote. Yep. Exercise want, your I right as a good, member. Yeah, I want the good governance of our club to vote and what we have to guard against is if there's anyone out there that is organising large numbers of people behind the scenes to get votes. Uh, you know, it, too often in the past, with tickets and what have you, it didn't take many votes to get control of the board or for people to get on the board. We don't want a situation where just because someone is able to call on friends and relatives and what have you and, and organise, uh, you know, three or 400 votes across uh, themselves and maybe another person or two and getting control that way. If you've got, uh, if we get in the thousands and thousands of people voting and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of members out there, if you get thousands and thousands of people voting, it is a truer reflection of the wishes of members. And that's all we want, a true reflection of the wishes of members. So, um, yeah, please get out there. Please vote. Don't wait till the closing date. Just do it now if you haven't voted already. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we'll wrap things up for another episode of The Tip Sheet. We've... Hey, how long did we go, mate? Have we hit the hour and a half again? Oh, yeah, we're well past that, mate. We, we're oh, closer oh. to the two hours than we are to an hour and a half. Oh, mate. Uh, it's, again, it's a reminder that we really need to get that news episode of the podcast up and running ASAP. Spiro. Calling Spiro. <laughs> Put out the Spiro signal and we'll get him yeah, back soon. Yeah. But, yeah, until then. Uh, Hang on. What would a Spiro signal look like? That's a good, good question. Would it question. be the Greek flag? <laughs> the Greek flag. I don't know. 
I don't know. He's had a great time around Europe in his yeah. in his Isn't in his uh, summer period. I know that much, and a chunk of that was in uh, in the homeland of Greece. So um, maybe it is. Maybe we do have to put the uh, the signal out. They're calling Spiro. We need you back for the the news episode, mates. And we'll work on getting Spiro back. In the meantime, we'll be back with an instant reaction podcast to break down all the happenings tomorrow. Uh, kick off five fifty five p.m out in the Central Coast, Gosford, I believe. Uh, But yeah, until then, stay safe. Catch you guys in the next episode.